Mutual Fidelity Insurers of Sacramento. Yeah, well, there's gotta be a listing, honey. I pay them six Gs a year in premiums. China is here, Mr. Burton. Yeah, go ahead, all right. The Chan Sing. Yeah, okay. The Wing Kong. They've been fighting for centuries. What does that mean? Huh? China is here? I don't even know what the hell that means. All I know is this Lopan character comes out of thin air in the middle of a goddamn alley while his buddies are flying around on wires cutting everybody to shreds and he just stands there waiting for me to drive my truck straight through him with light coming out of his mouth? Jack, please. Put him in all three is just just to be just to switch it up. Come on. Man, I don't know it, but that bracket made me kind of hate it. It was title. the '90s comedy bracket, which I ran in, in the real shit too. I believe Happy Gilmore won. In, which in, I do. That would have been Happy Gilmore, Tommy Boy, or Dumb and Dumber. I would have been completely happy with any one of those. But in an epic move uh, in their group. Wayne's World got over on Dumb and Dumber in the in the second round. It won no, it won the fucking bracket. It got heated uh, during the Dumb and Dumber and Wayne's World matchup because I got real immature and I got accused of bullying during that because I was jumping on and giving everybody shit. And I was like, "How do you guys think that this catchphrase bullshit is funnier than Dumb and Dumber? I don't understand." Like, <laughs> all right, just give me a couple seconds of that air. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Spittin' the Real Shit, uh, the only weekly movie podcast made exclusively by, for, and about the online Facebook group, The Real Shit. Uh, you are catching us on a very special day, because this is our 24th episode ever. Uh, this week, we divulge our top three favorite film scores of all time, as well as a conversation that I've personally had many times, a breakdown of John Carpenter's 1986 adventure comedy, uh, Big Trouble in Little China, starring Kim Cattrall and the incomparable Kurt Russell. Uh, my name is Charlie Thompson, founder, administrator, and bracket master of The Real Shit. And joining me as always is my co-host and fellow administrator, the midnight movie maniac himself, Ryland Johnson. What's up, man? All aboard the Pork Chop Express, boys. What's up? How we doing? And today we are welcoming our very first guest of 2021, a non-Real Shit member, but someone who has been instrumental in the operation and presentation of the movie Brackets on The Real Shit. Uh, a filmmaker, a friend, and a well-documented Wayne's World hater, uh, Mr. Anthony Milton. Nice to finally talk to you, sir. How are you? Hey, oh, doing well, man. Good to finally talk to you, too, man. It's been a long time coming. He actually runs his own movie group uh, that I, a couple of years ago, kind of came into. 
uh, just purely on happenstance. I was doing brackets and, and the real shit and just was kind of doing it and kind of thinking like, what, like, what do I have here? What, what is this? Like, what, what are other people doing? You know how back in the day, I think they still have it, uh, the, the you know, recommended groups that you might want to join. And that was on the list, uh, his group. And so I just hit join, didn't even think about it, moved on. A few days later, I get a message, total stranger, just saying, hey, we saw that you uh, trying to join our movie group. We didn't have any mutual friends. I didn't know what your intention was or, or how you heard of us. The name of the group was funny. And uh, the, the picture of the cover was the uh, Leo DiCaprio when he was all crazed out in the aviator as Howard Hughes, you know, pissing in jars and whatnot. And I thought that was really funny. I guess I, I guess I just kind of got a screening, really. And then they let me into the group, and I was just kind of just posting, you know, but what I was watching, I saw the rules of the group, and I followed them, and they just kind of let me talk, and they kind of chop it up with them. And then I was doing the monster movie bracket in 2018, and I just contacted the same guy that contacted me. And I was like, hey, I have this idea uh, that, I, that I do in my group. I would love to implement it in this group. And they're like, fuck, yeah, go ahead and post it. And it was, it was just the, the bracket that I had made uh, with, all the, with all the movies on it. Uh, and so I posted that. It was so crazy to see how quickly everybody latched on to it. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry I'm not letting anybody else talk, guys. Anthony, um, good, bro. I remember, um, like, immediately you just thought it was a good idea. I, I remember that right off the bat. Oh, absolutely. Anything that's slightly competition-based is always good with me. But I thought it was a really fun way to measure... Just, I don't know, what everybody's tastes were in the group, which was obviously already a priority for me because that was my initiation factor, which uh, initiation, I'm putting it in air quotes, was that anybody that joined the group, I wanted them to post their top 10 movies and specifically their top 10 desert island movies, the one they can, the ones they could watch over and over. I didn't want them to give answers that they thought were going to impress people like Seventh Seal and shit like that, unless that's just really what you want to watch all the time. I want to know, you know, if you do have like a Wayne's World or something, even though I hate it, I want, I, I want to know if that's in there. That's a much funner <laughs> result to me. So getting this idea of people voting on the bracket based on what their, their favorite movie within that subject is very entertaining to me. It kind of tells me what kind of people we have in, in the group, what kind of taste they have, which also kind of helps when you're taking their recommendations from the people you don't know in the group. Cause I use the group as kind of my own rotten tomatoes as well. Like if people are posting about it and several people that I trust are commenting on it, then I could start to gauge like, okay, well I kind of have similar tastes as that person. So that might be worth my time to throw on. So I kind of use it like that too. And then as far as you getting in, I didn't even know, like originally when I would kind of double check people, cause you got in when there weren't a ton of people in there. So I would kind of double check, make sure people had mutual friends because wanted the group to blow up too big with just a bunch of randos or anything. And you'd already started doing the brackets and everything at that time. And I didn't see any mutual friends. I'm like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to say anything if he doesn't know anybody, because this was a good, uh, a good one to fall through the cracks if we were going to have any. And then I found out from Evan, who was my only other admin at the time that he had been running secret interviews with people. And I was like, dude, I just gave you admin power. Cause you said you wanted to make polls. And that was the only way that you could do that at the time. And he went maverick on me. But in that case, it was really, it really worked out that he did because Shit, that changed everything for the group. I mean, people were already enjoying it, and it was already a lot of fun, but the brackets bring a whole different dynamic to the thing. And you got some people that weren't really 
participating as much actively in the group until the brackets. And that's the main thing that they participate in. And then others will participate in a lot of bits in it, you know, with Sean's quizzes and various things. That's become such a popular thing. Like I said, you know, I work in the industry around here in freelancer. So I work with a lot of these folks on commercials and, you know, we'll hear them like side conversations. My roommate will hear it of people talking about, oh, the bra- next bracket is super serious. And people get into arguments on set about it. Like it gets hairy sometimes. Man, get out of here. That's stupid. That's so awesome to hear. And now people just, you know, they shorten it. They just call it Super Serious. Like the whole title, Super Serious Movie Club Gang, which was a total working title because it started off with just 11 of us in October. And I think I, I called it like the October Horror Movie Extravaganza, some shit like that. And I would, my cover photos were Last Supper pictures of, of horror icons. And then after that was over, I was like, well, let's keep it going. And then so I just changed it to the Super Serious Movie Club Gang. And the cover photo was... Uh, Timothy Blake Nelson and George Clooney in the theater turning back toward John Turturro and Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And so that became the theme was the cover photo was all people in the movie theater, at least watching a movie of some kind. Okay, boys, enjoy your picture show. I've used Jamie Kennedy on the couch watching Halloween and Scream and that kind of thing before. I'm getting another beer. You want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. Ah! More and more people started getting in it. And then all of a sudden people were talking about it at work. And then, you know, we were trying to keep it somewhat secretive. And then people were like, well, I, I want to be in it. Well, I want to be in it. And then all of a sudden it's a thing where if you're not in it now, then there's something wrong with you in the Dallas film community, basically. That's cool, man. Now it's kind of a part-time job. Right. And uh, that's what I wanted to hit on was... That's what joining that group did for me. It showed me that I should be proud of all the stuff that I've done. At that time, the group was six years old. The real shit was. And so it gave me more more, more pride, you know, more like, oh, I, I do have an engaging thing here. Absolutely. You know, it was like a, it was kind of like a, a control and an experiment. A lot of these people are my personal friends. Maybe they're just being nice to me and just playing this little fun movie game. And so then I thought it was just a great opportunity to kind of test it with total strangers, like people who don't know me from anybody. Completely legitimized by a group of people that you would have, once you find out that we're all in the business and stuff, that it like, they could be snobby assholes about it. And like, so you're kind of like really a bunch of people that you think might be really jaded and everything. And, but like the, you've really impressed them. Like you see the reactions and the comments whenever you finish a bracket and stuff like Charlie, we love these. These are amazing. This is the only yeah. reason I even get on Facebook anymore. Like, which is why we keep politics out of it. Everything we want it to be it's a really safe place beyond just being entertaining. They feel like it's a safe place they can go and just kind of be nerds. So, so Ryland, you still with us? Sorry, man. Uh, I know it's a lot of catching up. We got to do. <laughs> uh, you know, I can relate to, to being a member of the real shit. It's a uh, your brackets are interactive. Keeps us entertained. I, I've actually gotten two or three like either coworkers or friends of friends like thank me for for showing them the real shit this year. Gave me an honest like thanks, man. That that group's been so entertaining or you know, I'm not much of a group person on Facebook, but I, I was, I was happy to join y'all's movie group. Cause it's, it's very diplomatic. There's not a lot of arguing and, and stuff going on. It's just give your vote, see how these brackets play out. It's, it's a really fun group to be a part of. So I get, I get the, the enthusiasm. Thank you. You are entirely welcome. But now let us all go to my house for a little sponge cake or a little wine and shit. Our group has exponentially grown as well um, since we started this show from like 400 to almost 700 now. 
members. It's just so cool to see the interaction, the daily posting, and the, just the back and forth. I drew a lot of energy from the Super Serious Movie Club gang and just and just kind of wanted to interact and, and just kind of interact with everybody. But I know there's some Super Serious members in the real shit because they accidentally vote on, on the real shit uh, posts sometimes. That's um, funny. That's funny. And so, uh, and so, yeah, there's been a couple of, of breaches, you know. Besides me, like, that would be so much to, like, process on your feed. Ten hours straight, he's a machine. I know Kung Fu. Show me. Like, like, why would you want to be in both simultaneously? And that's the only reason that I'm not in real shit, because it's just like, oh, my God, I feel like that I would I would neglect one for the other. I don't even see how you have energy to run the brackets in both and everything like it's 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 so much and all just to participate in all the stuff that's on there. Because I try every every member that posts their top 10 when they come in, I try to comment on it in some way, shape, form or fashion. And I try to comment on a lot of the posts like when the whole thing started, we were like at 50 people it was a lot of me like posting, Hey, your top five, this, your top five, that, and me doing conversation starters. And then at a certain point when we got to like 7,500 people and now we're at 580, I believe, but when we got to like around like 75 uh, to a hundred, then it started kind of sailing more on its own where I got to just kind of participate with people sometimes as opposed to running the whole thing. So, but I still feel like that I need to have a presence in there of some kind, you know, most of the time. So even just to keep up with that, it's like, Oh my God. Like I've said before, Charlie does all the work. (laughs) Uh, that's one thing I, I learned was like, that's what you need to do. You need to, if it's not doing it, you got to do it. Like you got to be the one to engage and post every day and make sure that you're, that you're constantly seeing a post from this group. So other people feel more attuned to giving their opinion about whatever. Exactly. Whatever and, and then the more I would hear people talk about how much they liked it, the more I pressure I felt to, to do that and to, and to keep it going. I I take a lot of that hustle. Uh, that I see uh, with with the admin group that we formed and and just uh, that realizing how much I was actually doing and what what jobs I could really alleviate with other people like like you kind of took the the business I guess the teamwork aspect of a production and you kind of put it towards the the bracket you know system you know we have different jobs to do just a, it's a quorum really and so um, I, I just want to give my respect to you man and get you on my show uh, because he has he's he's been helping. Uh, like motivating, like just the the kind words and just always being uh, motivational, the whole group. And it makes me want to make better images for the for the bracket. It makes me want to do better things, it makes me want to try new things. That's what helps on that end. But just know, members of the real shit, that while you're doing your bracket, there is some other bracket somewhere on Facebook that's 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 uh, doing their whole other competition. And we've had several variants in, in many of the brackets. I think there's been 10 or 12 that I've done simultaneously. <laughs> Your birthday. Daniel. Daniel. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. The whole time, the whole time you would the whole time. But I've always tried to uh, give both groups uh, the same amount of attention and um so I, I just want to give props where props was due, guys. So uh but I really wanted to talk about you and uh, that that you are uh, in the industry of of, of creating multimedia, Anthony. Yes, yes. I don't really, I haven't, we haven't really made any money with Coffee Pot. That's been more of a labor of love the entire time. And we get paid a little bit here and there for the music videos, but that's more us uh, just, you know, 
it started off as just a sketch comedy group and just trying to get some views online. And we still do some of that kind of stuff. And we do music videos and we just did a short film that we shot right before the shutdown. And so post-production has been a little slow. And then we wanted to wait until festivals kind of really started coming back. Like we already entered the Dallas International Film Festival, which we won't hear anything back for a couple months on that. But we're kind of still holding back on that a little bit to see what these live festivals do. Uh, we'd like to try to push it to try to get some funding for some kind of feature link for it. Hello there, I'm Adam Blanton. I'm a member of Coffee Pot Films, and I'm coming to you today because we need your help. Now, a small number of you know us as a sketch comedy group that occasionally puts out a video that's slightly funny. But now, we have an idea, and a script, and we are super jazzed about it. Super jazzed. Okay, open wide, please. Uh... A group of friends are having fun at a birthday party when one of them starts to question reality and all hell breaks loose. It's got thrills, it's got chills, and it's like my friend says is a 10 minute punch to the face. <gasps> I'm the friend that said that. It's a horror comedy, so that uh, we feel like with it being that genre that we might be able to find our niche there a little bit to kind of break in. And then uh, I also work as a freelancer in mostly commercial world. I've worked on a couple of little TV shows here and there. Uh, but I was a production assistant for far too long, which for anybody out there that doesn't know is the entry level position. But I was that for nine years, working my way into becoming an assistant director, which second AD, you're basically running talent and paperwork and back up to first AD is kind of running the set scheduling and overseeing safety and uh, kind of the main voice of uh, key point of communication on set. So that's what I do for a living, hopefully trying to transfer this coffee pot thing into a living. I was going to uh, drop a couple links. And so those links are going to be down in the, in the show notes, guys, if you want to go, go visit uh, some of his work. Yeah, anything I can do, man. Trying to, trying to find our own way and do our own thing. You know, we're in our, most of the guys in our group are in our mid-30s now and have kids and stuff. And, but you know, we're still trying to push through and make something silly. We, we never claim that we have anything important to say. We're, we're more on the uh, entertainment for entertainment side of things. There's lots of people out there that'll make stuff to make you cry and make you think. Ours is more just to try to make you laugh as much as possible and try to just be entertained. What are you doing? I can't find the remote. That sucks. Again. Useless. We started the show in July of last year, and that was mid-lockdown. One of the big stories we always come back to is just the state of the industry. What's it like on sets and production? Like, uh, we heard the Tom Cruise rant. Like, is it is it that ser- like is it that serious? Are rules being followed? Stuff like that. It really, it really is that serious. And something like what Tom is doing specifically is uh, union, all union. We get a lot of non-union work around here, but even the non-union work. There is a specific list of safety protocols. Uh, The union stuff is even more specific because typically union jobs have more, whether it's commercial or television, episodic, whatever, uh, they typically have more money to throw at the safety stuff. Like pretty much every shoot now has a COVID safety officer of some kind. Temperature checks on the way in. Everybody has to wear masks. If you're around the actors, when they have to have their masks off, then you have to wear a face shield over your mask as well. It makes our job far more difficult in an industry where it's already you're racing against the clock. And I can tell you from a perspective of an AD, because, you know, that's what we're doing is making schedules and trying to keep us on time. 
you never have enough hours in the day really to shoot what you need to shoot. You're always racing against the clock. You're always back against the wall. And so it does make things more difficult, even though work has come back and, and there's, there's things shooting again, it's still because of the fact that it costs extra money. Cause you have to make sure that you're providing PPE. In a lot of cases you have to get the crew tested beforehand, which means reimbursing them for all of those tests. And, you know, even a small commercial, you're talking between 30 and 50 crew members, possibly travel is also difficult for some of the people. Cause you know, we get a lot of out of town clients coming into Texas because we have a lot of business headquarters here. Like I've had several jobs canceled recently because they weren't going to fly in because of everything that's going on right now. So. Hey, listen, how long is it going to take us to get there? Shouldn't take very long. Actually, I have no concept of time. Jesus, is this dangerous? Nope. Well, you know, there's chance in everything. It definitely makes things more difficult, and it's it's limiting what's being shot. But things are still happening, and the second that it seems anywhere near safe and the, the vaccines are rolled out more, then I'm sure that everything will blow up and all these things that we've been waiting on will finally start releasing and the things that haven't gone into production yet because they were not wanting to spend a quarter of their budget on something to do with COVID safety will start going yeah. into effect again. And I already, uh, apparently Rob McElhaney for It's Always Sunny already uh, tweeted and said that this next season of Sunny is pretty much going to have to do with all of this bullshit, as he put it. It's a great perspective, you know, rather than just try and work around it, like address the issue in the narrative. Right. I'm curious to see how many people are going to do that. People I had several friends ask me if I was writing anything COVID related. And I was like, nah, there's plenty of people out there doing that right now, including people who were, have never written anything before who this is going to be their first thing because they had the time to do so. Thank you for kind of giving us an insight. Uh, like I said in the first episode of, of this show, we're not professionals in this thing. We're just kind of fans. Before we move on, guys, just give a big shout out to the, the Super Serious gang. Shout out to Javier. Angie. And shout out to Angie. Uh, shout out to Sean. Shout out to Brittany. Shout out to Maxine. Shout out to Adrian. Shout out to Evan, the guy who got me in. Uh, shout out to Jared and to Jennifer Ford. Moving on, guys. If you know the show, we, we do a segment, like a game that we do to try and spark the movie fun. And uh, we did uh, top threes the last two weeks, and we're keeping the, the kind of spirit going here. Anthony, are you down to, to do a little game with us? Uh, in, in Absolutely. The movie Hello. You don't know me, but I know you. I want to play a game. Uh, so this is our top three, guys. Uh, you know how it goes. Uh, last two weeks, we did kind of a roundtable, kind of back and forth on each one. But uh, this time, we're going to just do each person's top three and then move on to the next one. Anthony, as our guest, uh, I would love to have you give out your top three. Uh, mine is kind of, it's it, it's hard to call it an all-time. Normally, I have runaway favorites with everything, but, but scores are kind of fluid based on what I'm feeling. And right now, what I was feeling was uh, There Will Be Blood, which actually that one kind of sticks with me. Uh, it's just so ominous and dark and fits the movie so, so well. That, that's funny. I, I never even thought of the score as really a storytelling measure, but now that you bring it up... like It really is, especially when the uh, the rig is burning down, when it, when his kid first stricken deaf. Like, oh my God, that whole scene, that portion of that score just really stuck with me. Who is the composer on that one? Johnny Greenwood, PT's guy for the back half of PT's career, which is the master and uh, Phantom Thread 
uh, which Phantom Thread really bummed me out. I hated it so much. You didn't like Phantom Thread? I didn't, man. It really, and it really bummed me out because PT's always been a top ten for me. And I remember just being so mad the entire movie. I can handle a really slow movie, uh, so it wasn't even that. I did. I didn't care for the characters, and it also bummed me out that that was uh, Daniel Day's last movie. I hated everything about it. I hated the pacing. I hated the characters. It just really bummed me out. I blind bought it. And I would have bought it anyway because I'm a completionist and I have to have all of my P.T. Anderson movies. But yeah, I just couldn't couldn't do it. And that's incredible. Yeah, that, okay, that blows my mind. Um, I, I want to love it. <laughs> um, and one that was an older movie that I just watched recently that I should have seen a long time ago, which was Suspiria. And I just finally watched it a couple of months ago. But the manic tone of that movie was matched by the manic pace and just crazy sounds coming out of that score. Oh, you're talking about Dario Argento's. I'm talking about Dario Argento's. I was way late to the game on seeing Dario's, and with me being such a horror fan, that was one that I was really ashamed of, and the foreign horror bracket motivated me to go ahead and watch it. Another purpose that you like from those brackets is we affect people's viewing habits. So that was my first time seeing the original, and uh, man, I was all about it. It has Dario listed as one of the composers. Goblin did the score. This was just one, I think it was just, I stuck out in my mind because I just watched it a few months ago, and I just thought every element of that movie, including the score, came together so perfectly. Just can't, I can't believe that I just forgot that I literally just watched that episode of History of Horror with Eli Roth, that they mentioned Goblin doing the, uh, doing the score. Never seen the movie, but I know a lot about it, if that makes any sense. Um, like, you know, it, it makes all the lists, you know, like on the, right. the watch mojos and the whatnot. In any horror so, doc that you see. Oh my god, I, I'm I'm such a horror for those. Like, same, same here, same here. Like any kind of like like you said, the history of horror. There was a sci-fi one there on on Shutter, uh, with James Cameron uh, executive producing it. That I I just burned through that. Like I love retrospective uh, documentaries on on film and then like the social science behind it. You know I love the speculation, the the you know the Beverly Hills Cop type of situation. Like why was this so successful? Type of situation. Absolutely, absolutely. Because yeah. you never really know. You know, and like in my example of that, I always go back to Spielberg with Jaws. Like you know they thought that the movie was gonna bomb. They thought they had this B Shark movie on their hands, and it's literally on AFI's greatest list of uh, hundred greatest movies of all time. And that's the one of the snobbiest lists that I've ever seen. Because you just never ever know what a movie's gonna do. So that's crazy that you that you just you just love the score, and but it, but it wasn't based on any kind of notoriety about the band or Argento himself. Like you just really enjoy. Oh, like, absolutely you, not. Like no, 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 no. I, I'll never have that. Like for example, uh, an honorable mention of mine would have been The Social Network, and I hate Nine Inch Nails. And as a composer, he definitely, as long as you put him with the right material, and Social Network was definitely the right material for him. He was a good match with Venture for that. Then I don't care who he is. Like if you do a good score, you do a good yeah. score. I'm gonna say this: Was it Oscar worthy? Hell no. Come on. And, and that was the Inception year. That was the the Hans Zimmer, the bomb. Yeah. Uh, Ryland is a big uh, Hans Zimmer. Man, he's the only guy that can that can compete with John Williams. Man, and and and. He's really not on that level either, but he—he's—he's he's number two in my book. Yeah, I don't blame you. No argument here. And then you know what? I—I got to go. I got to have at least one. And this is—I I guess I can qualify as guilty pleasure from my boy John Carpenter. I know he's got a couple of legendary ones, but Big Trouble in Little China is my favorite movie of all time, and that—that—that that, that score is absolutely ridiculous and all over the place. But once again, fits what that movie is, which is ridiculous and all over the place. I actually have 
a John Carpenter in my top three, but it is not uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, but I did listen to the anthology album, a compilation of John Carpenter's, which I almost bought the vinyl. And I was like, wait, I can just listen to this on, on Spotify. But I love the guitar in the score, the times where they're running or whatever, like it really amps it up. And uh, and that down, down, down. What I love the standoff too in the alley, the dun, 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 dun. That setup. <laughs> so good. You're right. That, that, was, that was great. Um, it took me right back there. Thank you for your top three, Anthony. I appreciate it. Ryland? You know me. We've talked about it. I'm a huge uh, movie score guy. All that kind of stuff in, in a film really is important to me. So pretty basic with my, my selection, my list here. My third selection is my boy Hans Zimmer, Inception. I read about it. They gave Zimmer kind of just a, you know, was told go wild. And this is what you get. You get this powerful brass instrument heavy just fanfare it's it's fucking awesome you know something you can like work out to it kind of motivates you it's uh definitely one of Hans Zimmer's best and I always thought that was like a Christopher Nolan idea if you look back at Hans Zimmer though you're talking gladiator he had that instrumental heavy feel to him already but yeah Nolan with him and Nolan as a combo my subwoofer is on my hearth on my fireplace uh, and I just hear everything rattling on that. My router back behind it, and I could hear everything on my entertainment center. And like, you couldn't hear, almost hear any other score. It was just those super low tones. It's kind of its own experience, his, his composing. I want Hans Zimmer to be Hans Zimmer. I want John Williams to be John Williams. I don't want them trying to cross over into being something different entirely. That and right. speaking of John Williams, that's going to be my number two pick. Got to go with the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark theme. I'm a giant Indiana fan. It's just so, so iconic, so classic. I hum it in my head every now and then. If I'm doing something fun, I'll throw out the Indiana Jones theme. But um, I had to put it in my list, it, it, as basic as it is. Uh, you said it before the show, Anthony, that he's just the Michael Jordan of film composers. Like, he just he figured out how to do it. And he, he knows how to make each one separate and sound all their own, but still John Williams. Like, he's, he's amazing. Can you imagine making that many themes that can be ringtones that are immediately recognizable to 80% of the people that are within earshot of that ringtone? Pretty phenomenal what he's attached to. It's just, it, the list just never ends. You got Superman in there. My number one selection is Jaws. I mean, that's just one of the most iconic pieces of film, music, history, whatever you want to call it. It's like it, that that theme or that, you know, the Jaws theme is it's almost a character in itself. It rounds up my top three as the number one is Jaws. Just how many times does that sound, you know, relate it to a shark? Does that sound? It's it's iconic. I can't give all three to John Williams, but you could if you wanted. He's that good. He really is. Like, I mean, it, that, that, that theme is so incredibly simple and iconic. And he knew that's the thing. It's like knowing when to not try to over impress and knowing when you need to go simple. That's what a true professional is. He knows what that specific piece of cinema needs. And it's it's perfect that he's matched with Spielberg so often because they're just that they're made for each other. Spielberg is the Jordan of directors. Whether you think he's the best director or not, he is the most recognizable and he knows how to make just popcorn entertainment, but he also knows how to make something like Schindler's List and pull your heartstrings and really make something that drives home and is just a, you know, one, considered one of the greatest movies of all time. They both know exactly how to manipulate an audience to recreate that magical feeling that you had as a kid when you walked into a theater and every movie was magical if you grew up as a movie fan. They know how to recreate that for you as an adult. They just they just get it. I'm in the same boat as you. I saw Jaws at a young age, and yeah, that, that theme is just, it's got its place in, in definitely the top three, I think, scores of all time. An honorable mention, though, a quick one. Just because, you know, we're, we're talking about Big Trouble, uh, 
John Carpenter, man, he, he's amazing. I got to throw in his Halloween iconic horror soundtrack as my honorable mention. You can't go wrong. I mean, you, you can't deny it. But I will say it's kind of long in the tooth, in, in my opinion. I've heard it so many times. It's incredibly simple, incredibly simple, but so, so effective. I mean, isn't John Carpenter the synth master? I mean, you know, Escape from New, uh, New York is, is so synthy and fucking badass. I love that soundtrack. I kind of had to look into John Carpenter. I was wondering why he was so composer heavy and, and, and musically inclined. He found out his dad was a was a music guy, so he learned that from his dad. And um, I just love how a director takes control of the composing as well. It's kind of a cool, cool little tidbit about John Carpenter. Well, and him coming up the way he did, like complete, like Romero, just complete indie scene. You know, they were having to do so much themselves, like they were having to like fly by the seat of their pants and learn on the fly with a lot of things. And you know, a lot of the horror tropes, they like guys like they, those guys created those, uh, which is why some of them didn't age very well either. As they got older, they were still kind of using the same tropes and stuff and not really evolving much past that. But as the originators for it, I mean, they were just having to do so much. And then, you know, and talking about getting started in the 70s too, the decade under the influence, that was when directors had full control over absolutely everything. So, you know, granted, Carpenter kind of came in on the ass end of that. I think some of it was out of the love for it and some of it was out of necessity as well to not have to pay a composer. Because you're still talking time from what Halloween cost versus what it ended up making. Yeah, it was the most profitable movie for the longest time. You know what movie kicked it off of uh, the top of the mountain? Was it Paranormal Activity? No, it was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Did it really? FHE, because they were independent wow. companies. Wow. Ninja Turtles was one of those, because I was born in 85, that was one of my earliest memories of being in the theater and my mind being absolutely blown that Raphael said damn and that was the first word out of a turtle's mouth and that movie was a cuss word and that, that just blew my little four-year-old mind five-year-old mind, I guess it came out in 90. Dude you need to get like straight up the fuck out of here because TMNT was one of the very first movie theater experiences that I had and I remember that was that that stuck in my brain that damn. All three because I was I was a very early uh I was born in 83 so yeah that, that that movie I saw at a very young age and remember it till this day because it was it was kind of a kids movie, but I felt like I, it was I was a little too young to be watching it at the time. Like live action kids movies, man, they didn't really always make those super family friendly. Like not as much as they thought they did. Like I bring up Ernest Scared Stupid all the time because that scared the shit out of me. Where'd he go, Rimshot? Where'd he go? He couldn't have just disappeared. By now, he must be a greasy spot in the road. Where did he go? Where did he go? <laughs> is uh, is Ernest Scared Stupid the end-all, be-all of, of Ernest movies, in your opinion? Yes, absolutely. Goes Ernest Scared Stupid, then Ernest Goes to Jail, then Ernest Goes to Camp. Like I, I guess it would be Ernest Saves Christmas after that, but the other three are the Holy Trilogy. I have all three of those on Blu-ray. Me and Charlie were huge Ernest fans. <laughs> oh, dude, grew up loving, loving, loving Ernest, man. Right, yeah, Goes to Jail is definitely my second favorite, and... Goes to jail and scared stupid are the ones that I can really quote. We got to hear your top three, Charlie. What are they? What are they? Let's hear it. Oh, it's jail camp stupid. <laughs> but uh, moving on to my top three, my honorable mention is actually the Social Network. He made it sound like so tense for it being just this computer nerd and his financial woes. It's like a generation defining film, and I think that that Trent Reznor has a big role to play in that. Uh, my number three is going to be the American Beauty soundtrack. I don't think it gets enough play because, you know, 
I think it really permeated the late 90s, 2000s era, like especially in advertising, uh, the wooden xylophone in there. That, that was just everywhere for a few years. It's immediately recognizable. It's, it's just beautiful and it's of its time where, where I was a, a late teen. But you throw those rose petals down and you play that xylophone, you know exactly what that's from immediately. And on, my number two is John Carpenter uh, with Escape from New York, especially the actual physical media. The track listing on that is fantastic and it just takes you all the way back. It creates a visual without even needing the visual after you've seen the film. Each composition is just so recognizable. I think I heard the whole thing. I didn't even get lost, didn't get bored once. It's just so so eerie and, and perfect. I love it. Uh, and then my number one uh, has got to go to the one, the only James Horner with the Braveheart soundtrack. That was the one thing that really stuck out to me the first few times I watched the film. Well, besides the um, just relentless gore, that was very adult. And then just to add on top of that, just this beautiful just very fluty kind of score, which she kind of owned that um, later on with, you know, Titanic and Avatar. It's just so good. It's another one of those, just such an easy listen. It's, it's, it just moves you in that film. It's, that's a great score. It's interesting to watch these composers, like you're saying, like where they develop this style where you can kind of, the big guys that, you know, they, they do a lot. You can really tell like, oh, that's, that's definitely him. You know, it's the same thing with, you know, if you get that, that whimsical with Danny Elfman, the heavy strings a lot with John Williams. With composers, there is an objective answer, and it's John Williams. Like, I mean, we can have our opinions <laughs> of who we like and everything, but objectively, no matter what you like, you just can't deny how iconic pretty much all of his work is. I mean, if it, or at the very least, that he has the highest percentage of iconic work. Because there are some guys that attach themselves to certain filmmakers. But like John Williams, I mean, you hear the Home Alone score. That's really good. Who did that? Oh, it's John Williams, of course. Harry Potter. And you're just like, of course, that's John Williams. Somebody has a really good idea and they want to have a really good score. They don't talk to their homeboy anymore. They talk to John Williams. The hands down goat of all time. There's no argument there. Uh, well, thank you, Anthony. Uh, but the last thing we got to talk about here tonight is the classic cult favorite uh, that actually Anthony brought to us uh, for the show tonight. He actually told me it was uh, between Big Trouble in Little China or The Big Lebowski, which I was excited about either prospect. So here we go, guys. Uh, 1986, Kurt Russell, John Carpenter, Kim Cattrall, Big Trouble in Little China. This is Jack Burton in the Pork Chop Express, and I'm talking to whoever's listening out there. It's a pretty amazing planet we live on here. And a man would have to be some kind of fool to think we're all alone in this universe. There is a hidden world where ancient evil weaves a modern mystery. What's going on here? Is this some kind of... Magic. The darkest magic. They call it Little China. Finally, we shall bring order out of chaos. It's where Big Trouble was waiting for Jack Burton. Who? Jack Burton. Me. Jack. Jack. Jack! They told him to go to hell. He make one move. And that's just where he's going. Somebody, I don't care who, tell me what is going on. No idea. There are many mysteries 
many unanswerable questions, even in a life as short as yours. <coughs> Destiny rests in your capable hands. Hey, I'll do my best. Ah! Oh, God, is this really happening? Ah! This is gonna take Cracker Jack timing, Wang. One, two, three. may be trapped. Total concentration. Safety. Huh, yeah. You ready, Jack? I was born ready. Way to go, Jack. Jack Burton's coming to rescue your summer. Hey, what more can a guy ask for? 20th Century Fox presents Kurt Russell in John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China. It's all in the reflexes. So, Charlie, are these numbers, these real numbers? Or are no. these, these are just inflated internet numbers? Well, and actually, Anthony uh, can probably answer this, this question. Uh, in my post, I don't know if you saw it, I said that I've seen the movie a thousand times. And then I said, actually, it's a 1,148. Do you know where that's from? Why am I not getting that? That sounds so familiar. I know it's from the movie. Uh, it's the amount of money he won after gambling. Uh, oh, my God. Oh, my, my God. <laughs> that was that was a preamble uh, of my post. And, uh, 1,148, Jack. Now I can remember exactly how he says that and everything. Wow, wow, wow. That bums me out. Uh, I don't, what I meant was yeah. I don't have that kind of money on me. <laughs> so the first thing I want to know is you brought this movie to us. It obviously means a lot to you. Where were you? How old were you whenever you first saw this film? Man, I can't say for certain when I saw it for the first time in its entirety. It's just always existed in my life. There is a home movie of me when I was three years old and I was doing karate and my grandma was in the background explaining to the other adults, like, look, there's the guys in the white, there's the guys in the black, and there's the guys with the hats. And I pinpoint, I was like, oh, shit, she's talking about Big Trouble in Little China. So obviously I had seen at least some of that movie by the age of three, but I can't say when or where. It's just always existed for me it's just always been there <laughs> that's so crazy so um is there a specific screening that you had that, that really sticks out in your brain man it's just always been there i can't say there's one because i've watched it so many times and i've owned it in every format i own five copies of it on blu-ray alone cash you charge oh gosh cash i guess i mean it's not deductible is it <laughs> <laughs> so so i'm assuming you've had it on had it on home video was it a bot copy or did you tape it Oh, I had I, at different points. I had each because I wore tapes out as well. I don't know which came first. Uh, I know I had at least two bought copies of it and at least one taped copy of it. I know I had at least three VHS copies because I wore them into the ground at various points. And then I've still got the double disc fat DVD edition that you can't find anymore from when it was first released on DVD. I've never gotten to see it in the theater and I kick myself for that. There's been so many showings and as, as a huge fan of this movie, I've never gotten done that. And I really hate myself for that. Listen to the old pork chop express and take his advice on a dark and stormy night, all right? When some wild-eyed eight-foot-tall maniac grabs your neck, taps the back of your favorite head up against a barroom wall, and he looks you crooked in the eye, and he asks you if you've paid your dues. 
But you just stare that big sucker right back in the eye and you remember what old Jack Burton always says at a time like that. Have you paid your dues, Jack? Yes, sir, the check is in the mail. Uh, so where were you the first time you saw Big Trouble in Little China, Ryland? Man, I, you know, I remember this vividly because it had the coolest uh, VHS cover art of the poster. By, uh, it, was, it was made by the infamous Drew Struzan, Struzan Shawshank poster, Blade Runner, Indiana Jones, Back to the Future, Star Wars. It's that iconic style of poster. Um, if you grew up in the 80s, going to Blockbuster. I don't think I watched it in theater, of course. I was too young, but probably 88, 89, I caught it, and, and it was a rental. It caught my eye. It's my, probably my first introduction to Kurt Russell, who I've thoroughly enjoyed his entire career. This movie's just so much fucking fun, man. It's Kurt Russell and John Carpenter together, always a good combo. So a classic. I think we bought it shortly after that. Mm. And that was their fourth round together at that point. And by that point, they'd already done Elvis the Thing and Escape from New York. S.D. Pliskin. American, Lieutenant, Special Forces Unit, Black Light. Two Purple Hearts, Leningrad and Siberia. Youngest men to be decorated by the president. He robbed the Federal Reserve Depository. Life sentence. New York Maximum Security Penitentiary. I'm ready to kick your ass out of the world, war hero. Big Trouble in Little China for me was also one of those taped tapes. It had already been in my parents' collection, you know, for however long it was. My dad watched a lot of, he was a very TV guy. Like he had his, he had his shows, he knew what, what he was watching on Monday. He had TV Guide ready to go. But then there were some times that it was just kind of holes in the schedule. And so he allowed that time with the family to choose whatever movie we wanted. Uh, but he liked Big Trouble in Little China, and we would watch it all the time. Fun fact about my version, they retaped a movie thinking that it was going to line up properly. Big Trouble in Little China, for years, for me, started with that stray dog and that guitar. Wow. Yeah. So you never saw the lawyer scene. Never saw the lawyer scene for years. Y'all yeah. know the history of that scene, right? You guys know what that scene's about? The opening scene? Oh, yeah, let's uh, let's talk about that, that opening scene. Uh, John Carpenter didn't want to make that scene, right? Now, oh, before we get to the meat of this thing, uh, do you at the present time have any knowledge of the whereabouts of a Mr. Jack Burton or his truck? Oh, God, will you leave him alone? Mr. Shen, please. You could be in a great deal of trouble. Half a city block explodes in a ball of green flame. Green flame! I mean, so all hell is breaking loose here. And there are people who say you're involved, that you might be responsible, that you're a very dangerous man. Now, if you're protecting Jack you Burton... You leave Jack Burton alone! Yeah, it, it, apparently it was Victor Wong, the, the actor who plays Egg Shen in the very beginning scene with the lawyer... His his idea was that Jack Burton wasn't a, a hero enough, wasn't a big enough hero. They had to add some lure to him to kind of pump his character up. And I, I actually watched this on my DVD, and it had director commentary. So Carpenter is sitting there with Kurt Russell talking the talking shit during the whole movie. It was a great way to rewatch this film, by the way. They were having a lot of fucking fun in 1986 making this movie. Him and Kurt are just kind of just sounds like they're sitting back, chilling, having a few drinks, and talking about it. In a, expecting maybe uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, or they're expecting maybe Harrison Ford. <laughs> I love your performance in this. Of course, my favorite performance is still Captain Ron, but. <laughs> Not quite as sharp as he thought he was. <laughs> He's really useless. He's out of it. Yeah, didn't make it. <laughs> we'll just play it here. Man behind the wheel. They mentioned this scene. This was uh, this was shot after the movie. It was added in the beginning to to add a little bit of a uh, extra bump and hero 
to uh, Jack Burton. Which was some foresight on Victor Wong's part, because uh, I know Kurt and John, them getting sidetracked and talking about like their kids and shit like that. And then uh, Kurt realizing like, oh, we need to get, start talking about the movie. They don't care about hearing us catch up and talk about this stuff. I know John and Kurt were, they wanted to flip the whole action star on its ear and have him be useless where he thinks he's John Wayne, but really he's Barney Fife. So they were leaning into that so hard that Victor probably saw that was like, okay, you need at least something to give this guy a little bit more. He can't just be that completely useless. You got to make him the hero at least a little bit. So that was some great marketing foresight on his part was the, no, you need a little something extra. Everybody knows Wang's the real fucking hero in this movie. Wang kicks fucking ass. Dude, Wang was my fucking <laughs> hero. Don't get me wrong. I was a Jack fan, but Wang was a badass dude. It's, it's, it's so funny to really think about what this movie's about. It's like Kung Fu meets western meets a buddy comedy chinese ghost love story i mean what the hell man it's so fun and and lighthearted and as a kid to have all those magic aspects and the monsters and what was the little one-eyed creature that had eyeballs all it stuck looks like a brain it looks like a it looks like fucking krang from ninja turtles your imagination and just runs with it and it's so much it's just such a fun movie huge kung fu fan so you throw in kung fu magic and jack burton this really cool over-the-top character it was just so much fun as a kid. And I wanted to talk about, like, in, in the 80s, I mean, high concept was where it was at. Just original stories, stories that, like, Big Trouble has this this novelty of having its lore kind of very, very small. Like, it's it's just a, a microcosm of, of lore. But, I mean, Indiana Jones, Star Wars, you know, uh, Buckaroo Banzai, these are all... Uh, high concept, you know, you could take the story anywhere in any any shape or form. Like you could you could do a movie about the, the three storms and the history of them. It's so much potential behind it with just the rich characters and and all you could do with it. It just bombed. Maybe just oversaturation of that kind of story, um, or maybe John Carpenter just isn't a franchise guy. But but something just didn't resonate with with people. What the what the significance was of why people didn't go see this film. That's John and Kurt's theory was that that people weren't ready for their muscle bound hero to not be the main focal point of the action, to be the butt of the joke the entire time. Do you have a gun, I hope? I have a knife. A knife? This guy's 12 feet tall! Seven. Hey, don't worry, I can handle him. I took something. I can see things no one else can see. Why are you dressed like that? That was their theory anyway, whether there's any truth to that. But if the word of mouth didn't get strong because of that factor, maybe people just didn't get it. Like it was just it was so fucking different that I, I, I may, maybe it was a combination of that and the word of mouth factor that it, once the first round of audiences went and saw it, there wasn't enough buzz after that because it wasn't the right people that went and saw it. Maybe it, it was released two weeks before Aliens was and just got his ass kicked in the theater. Plus, it didn't really have a lot of um a lot of promotion is what I hear. Well, the thing got its ass kicked because of uh, E.T. E.T. came out yeah. the same year. People were wanting a cute, cuddly alien and not what the thing is, which is not cute and cuddly in any shape, form, or fashion. He just kind of had bad luck with a couple of those. Of you guys baffled that this has not gotten some form of reboot? Jack Burton is such a cool fucking character. I, I say bring Rat Kurt and let's do another another ride with Kurt. That'd be so much fun. Yeah, I, I could be down it, or if they wanted to implement Wyatt in some way, uh, I could be I could be into that too. Uh, he's following his dad's footsteps pretty well. When I don't know if y'all saw Overlord, but I saw plenty of Shades of Kurt 
uh, and Wyatt's performance and Overlord. In the labs, the shit they're doing down there? That doesn't matter. They're not our mission. We take out the tower, troops come in, and deal with whatever's below ground later. Her brother will be dead by then. You forget what your job is, Private? It's about more than that now, Corporal. Do I have to drag your ass up that fucking tower? Yes, you do, because I'm not leaving him down I there. gave you an order! Like, John Carpenter remakes have just had the worst luck, uh, with the exception of uh, Halloween. Like, the fog was terrible. And, and so I, I can see why John Carpenter would not want to touch this film. Uh, yeah, and you know, well, and, and John, you know, to be fair, John's done two remakes himself. He just happened to be, happens to be better at remakes than most of the with the thing and Village of the Dam. Those are both remakes. I, you know, with him being my favorite director, I I take a little pride in that when his movies are remade because at least they're in people's heads enough to where they want to remake them, even though they end up being terrible. Like I said, you know, I can I just ignore the fog. I just pretend like it doesn't exist. I don't ever have to watch that movie again. I still love the original. So I'm never against people taking a stab at it. It's just for some reason people are not good at or they just choose bad people to put at the helm of them, really. One of my biggest takeaways was just John Carpenter himself. Uh, later on, realizing how much of a signature filmmaker he is, to where you can just look at that film, not know exactly what it is at all, and just and just tell that it's a John Carpenter film. And I think uh, Big Trouble is a great example of it, even in a big budget setting. So let's talk about the action in this film, the Wang Chi and Rain sword fight, like whoever he needs to go through to get Miao Yin. I mean, that's who he's going to be, and and. Uh, the greatest vertical leap and the best hang time that anybody's ever seen ever. And I, and, and I, and I thought the way that it was shot, it was very anime. Uh, you know, it, yes. it had a lot of roots in anime and, and it just, it was very similar to that. Uh, the other big fight scene that I always cite is like, they wrote the book on it was the alleyway fight. I've, I've never seen such a large production fight feel so small really. Uh, but, but, but then they pan back and they see that there's so much going on. That's my favorite scene. The, the alleyway fight, it's the one that resonated with me the most as a kid. Just that, like what you're saying, that pure action of that scene and how much is going on. And, and, and I think it's really a, uh, a move by John Carpenter. And it's, it's, like, it's like he melded the two, like his, his usual style plus this big budget action thing. And he kind of melded the two and it made it seem so great. So often I would just flip to that scene and just watch that scene. If that was all I had time for or whatever, I would just go and just watch just that scene. You know, you guys have mentioned the henchmen, thunder, rain, and lightning. How cool is that? The thunder character inspired Mortal Kombat's Raiden. I thought that was a cool uh, tidbit I read about. And also Lopan was inspired for Shang Tsung. So if you're a Mortal Kombat fan, you can thank uh, Big Trouble in Little China. And you got you to give props to James Hong, too. I know he has some ridiculous credit him out it's 800 movies he's been in him playing lopan such a iconic villain he kills it as this role he's so creepy he scared the shit out of me as a kid when you first see him in the in the wheelchair when he's you know he looks like a 200 year old man the the prosthetics and the and the and the visual effects for that just kind of scared the shit out of me as a kid and it was scary to see him and he just he relishes that role so well he plays lopan perfectly Lopan, which Lopan are we talking about? Little old basket case on wheels or the 10-foot tall roadblock? 
he mirrors Jack Burton so well in this, you know, as, as a bad guy. Well, my second favorite role of his is is Balls of Fury. I, I am a big, big supporter <laughs> of Balls of Fury in general. And he was fucking hilarious in that. Like, have you seen these pleasure girls? They really know how to treat a man. Yeah, I recommend anybody listening to this. Stop what you're doing. Go watch Balls of Fury. Classic walking in that film. Oh, no, no, dude. I want a rematch. <laughs> Best out of seven. You cannot defeat me. I am the Boggle Master. <laughs> so, uh, Rylan, what is your favorite scene in this whole movie? Uh, it's so hard to choose, but I, I, I want to say the ending. As a kid seeing this, where, you know, spoiler alert, when he throws the knife into Lopan's head, it was, was shocking to me. I didn't think he was going to take him out that easy. And, and when, he, when he dies and the henchman comes and sees Lopan's dead, he decides to just, it's the most... It's the funniest practical effects I think I've ever seen in a fucking movie. Which this this actor has amazing facial expressions. That guy kills this role as a as a guy who can expand himself by sucking in air and, and expanding to balloon size. He decides to kill himself by by blowing himself up like a fucking whoopee cushion. And it's just <laughs> the, the eye bulging and the practical effects of that scene just make me laugh out loud. And you know what's funny as a kid, like all of the ludicrous things and all the outlandish things that happened in that movie and the one thing that made me like that seems like it would be hard to do is when thunder obliterated jack's gun with one single punch and it just shattered into a million pieces i'm like can he really do that i mean they've already done so many ridiculous things and that's what i'm turning a weird eye at as a kid i'm like that seems like that would be hard i love that scene he destroys that gun into dust You were, you were talking about the ending rylan and we're all three people that have seen this film for years since we were children I would love to see somebody's reaction because he killed David Lopan. I wonder if anybody would be surprised by that through the narrative, watching it for the first time. The comedic value of this movie is is top notch. I love it. That like spider weird looking creature just eats a guy out of fucking nowhere. <laughs> Wait, what the fuck was that? And it's just another another little weird creature, just like the the eyeball monster. They're just these weird creatures spread throughout this film that just make it that much more fun. He's on ash level charisma in, in this film Kurt Russell. i love when the elevator's filling up with water and he's like see you think they let us waltz in and down to here like the wind yes i thought that was your whole damn point like his reaction to that is just so gold they're they're making the toast and he just has to have the last fucking word which is may the wings of liberty never lose a feather i've always wanted to like save somebody from a drowning toast just, just by ending it like that. Here's to the Army and Navy and the battles they have won. Here's to America's colors, the colors that never run. May the wings of liberty never lose a feather. Ah. I texted you guys earlier today, just being so surprised about like how much I just use this in my regular vocabulary. Anytime you know I hear an octave, it, it could remind me of that film, like just a sound effect. That's how I am with movie quotes in general. People think I'm a schizo because, like you said, I'll hear just one like inflection of something that'll make me think of something else. To this day, me and my buddy Greg and a few of us will give the Chang Sing uh, finger sign. So uh, last two things I want to bring up, just John Carpenter himself and, and just his legacy, how great of a director he really is. Like he's not still making films like uh, Martin Scorsese is still making films. He's he's kind of like a Brian De Palma where he had his heyday, really. Uh, where he was just he was talking the town and he, they, everybody was waiting on his next one, but then he just kind of took so much time off and uh, and now he just has this library of films to to work with. I know he's done a couple of things. Did the Masters of Horror series, uh, a most recent one, The Ward. Like, uh, do you think John Carpenter has gone the way of 
De Palma and Coppola or he, he might do something else. But whenever the ward was hitting the scene, he had about four or five upcoming projects on his IMDb at the time. And those have all since been cleared away. Uh, I think uh, he'll make his appearances and stuff. But I don't think he's going to make anything else. What's your name? Kristen. Welcome to the ward. Your new home. Why am I here? Escape from New York and The Thing and Halloween are iconic movies in Americana, period, just in American cinema, and also kind of game changers in each of their own way. Big Trouble Little China is his mega cult classic. The The fan base that are huge fans of it are rabid, like myself. And and you can really you can really get pretentious with John Carpenter. Um, as far as like, you know, just really dissecting his films and really, really breaking him down to have three legacy films and then a cult favorite, such an astounding career. And I, I don't think he needs to do anything else. He's done the work and I think he's now enjoying the real spoils of being like a, like a, a folk hero in America, basically. Who doesn't know the famous Piper line of I'm here to do two things, chew bubble gum and kick ass. You know, I think the expectation was too much, but I think the final product um, for what it is, shouldn't have been a blockbuster. I think that it should have just been, you know, just a great John Carpenter film, you know, and I think the the expectations were just just a, a little too high. And, you know, and, and that's just what sucks about about the industry itself is um, like you, you get a big, big opportunity. And then if it doesn't go your way for whatever reason, you're ultimately the one that has to pay for it. Um, right. You know, which luckily since then it's got its love because luckily for him, there was a bunch of kids that were just being born when that movie came out that we're going to see that movie a couple of years later. I'm like this has everything that I've ever wanted in uh, a piece of art. Ah, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? Who? Jack Burton. Me. Jack always says, what the hell? A star ratings uh, roundtable, guys. Uh, Anthony, what would you give this film uh, out of 10 stars? 10 stars. <laughs> Am I trying to give it like an objective rating based on uh, no. film school definitions of what a good movie no, is? Or not, not at all. It's, it's your opinion of the film. Oh, then 15. 15 <laughs> stars. You got it. Uh, what about you, Ryan? How, how many stars would you give this thing? This movie just holds a special place in my heart. You know, it's it's it's. I remember when I was growing up as a kid, if yeah. you knew what Big Trouble in Little China was, you were kind of the cool kid. You were the up on the movies or, or you know, you knew you knew your shit when you knew Big Trouble. You know, it just it, it holds a special place in my heart. I'm kind of happy that it's a cult classic. I'm, I'm happy that it has been kind of untouched. I'm going to give it a solid eight point five. I mean, for what it like I said, for what it's trying to do. Uh, a fun fantasy action comedy. It's it's amazing. Like, it's an awesome film, and, and it's so much. It was so much fun to retouch it. Uh, I got to give this a solid nine point seven out of ten. I don't, I don't know. I, I guess I'm not like Anthony. I can't just give out a perfect score like that. It is my number one of all time. Like it, like that and Big Lebowski <laughs> are always going to get a ten for me. And honestly, almost everything everything in my top ten is going to get a solid ten for me. I uh, I actually did an episode of this show of my top ten. 
Uh, I still stand by it that there's a quote for every situation in life from the 90s Adam Sandler stock between from Billy Madison through Big Daddy. There's like there's something for every situation in life. You mad at your dad, not at me. I forgive you. Like there's just something for everything. <laughs> you you hit that guy. He should have been standing there. He shouldn't have been standing there. <laughs> excuse right. me. Excuse me. This is golf. He's always in there. It's like, yeah, everybody seems to be coming around. Well, I'm not done. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, i mean i really enjoy this guy I, i've only i've only seen his humor through text you know so it's fun to hear him uh just kind of kind of do the bits i love it uh but i want to say uh, thank you so much for giving us a couple hours of your time anthony uh, i loved taking a look back at big trouble in china i loved seeing it through your perspective and just being a super fan before super fans were super fans of this film uh, and and that's really a great perspective to come from. Uh, and so thank you so much for uh, for your time in the top three. And uh, whether you know it or not, kind of really help out my group and and my presentation of, of these brackets and and just how I want my group to to look. I I, I look up to you, sir. Man, Charlie, it was a pleasure being here, dude. It, this was an absolute blast. And I uh, do not feel for one second that you were taken for granted uh, within the Super Serious Movie Club gang on all by its members or its admins. We all appreciate everything that you do very, very much. We all realize how much work it is that you put into it. We appreciate everything that you've brought to the table in there. And it's just made the group that much more dynamic and brought that much more enjoy enjoyment and brought a fun game to the group that everybody really, it's the main, it's the main event now. Like, I mean, everything else yeah. is fun and people still, you know, just kind of do the in-between stuff, but it, it, it is the main event of the whole thing. Fun finally talking to you and really getting to chop it up about movies. Me and Anthony did dirty work quotes and that's how I, knew this guy was on my level uh, sam are you pissing off the side of the building sort of <laughs> so fucking it makes me wistful yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, if that ever comes up that's uh that's sam's department yeah oh, yeah. yeah yeah it's my department <laughs> no i can hear you fine it must be uh uh your phone yeah. <laughs> and that whole bit where they're standing there holding the fish like smells like fish in here what is that? Was that a signal? You're a cop, ain't you? I gotta watch that movie now. I missed that oh, film. It's so good. It's, it's, uh, well, so uh, for Anthony Milton and Rylan Johnson, I'm Charlie Thompson, and we have been spitting the real shit. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. Peace out. Edit. Um, so do you know your top ten by heart? Yes, I do. In order, it is Big Trouble in Little China, Big Lebowski, Tombstone, Dumb and Dumber. Now, this is my favorites. I'm not saying any of these are the best movies of all right. time by any stretch. Uh, number five would be Jaws. Number six is Aliens. Uh, number seven is Two Towers. Number eight is Boogie Nights. Number nine is Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And number ten is Shot of the Dead. Nice list. Popcorn Entertainment. Jack Burton in a big rig. Mao Yin kidnapped on some gang shit. Yo, Wang, they got your girl, dog. Now we got to go and infiltrate the Wing Kong. Y'all saying low pan is the man, kid. Magic man with a plan and he runs shit. But that's my friends he been fucking with. If old Jack don't come back, call the president. Big Chin and his friends want the medicine. Drink a little bit, baby, we're invincible. Check the reflex, I don't need a game plan. Saving lives, catching knives with my bare hands. All night I've been fighting, trying to be the man of pain.